This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. About three years ago, when I was just finishing to my brother Paddy, who has always been interested in, in ethnic music and uh, collected instruments since he was a kid, really. And he played me a tape, and uh, I couldn't believe how beautiful it was. Um, I listened to it all the time and thought how lovely it would be if perhaps on the next album I'd be able to somehow work with them, somehow incorporate their music with my own. So then we had to find out how to best approach it, so as not to just use them in the music for the sake of it, but to make the most of what they do, because what they do is so special. Um, and really through a, a process of elimination, we decided the best thing to do was actually to go to Bulgaria to meet them and to work with them there, with their arranger, and work out the process there in Bulgaria. So we went over there last weekend and uh, we met for the first time. And we worked the whole weekend with their arranger Mikko and Boromiro translating. And between us as a group, we actually pulled together all the work that we've been doing the last two days on the record. Can you tell me, if you're working in a studio with Western musicians normally, there's, there's a common language, go back to the middle eight, cut, take two, whatever. Yes. Do you find the process more difficult, trickier, interesting, when you actually have to go through everyth everything through an interpreter? Um, it takes longer, maybe, to actually communicate. But um, in some ways, it's the most exciting communication I've ever had with musicians, because um, we can't communicate intellectually because we don't have the language. So we speak to each other emotionally, really. We, um, we sort of feel each other, that's what it feels like. Welcome to Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. I am Cecily, and this week we're going to be talking about track number nine from Kate Bush's sixth studio album, The Central World. We're going to be shooting off into the November night with Rocket's Tale. Then with a fuse in my hand And now 
And with me to talk about the song this week is a big fan of the song. And of course, we've heard from her a lot. And she's friends with me in real life. And as soon as this pandemic shit is done, I am definitely, we are definitely going to be meeting in person. We are talking with none other than... Yes, I'm Zoe. Good to be back on the show. I'm really excited to talk about this song because it's one of her most, it's on my list of her top 10 most underrated. And I think a lot of people feel the same way. And this, this song brings me a lot of joy. So I'm excited to bask in that joy. I know. And to have Cecily visit me in New York City when the pandemic's over. I've told yes. her many times. I'm like, I, I will buy your train <laughs> ticket, whatever you need. It's happening. We can you- do a, like a live recording. Yes. Oh, definitely. Like being able to do an episode of the show with somebody in the room, because I've only ever done that. Let's see. Well, well, the first season where I had my then husband and then I had my friend Andrew Martin for um, Handsome Cabin Boy. And that's it. Everything else is over Skype. Well, maybe we can actually do. um, Am I allowed to spoil what our upcoming product is? Oh, sure. Yes. So <laughs> we can do that. We're going to um, re-rec... Because season one of The Cake Inside was done with a co-host who was, wasn't a super big Kate fan. We were like, this should be redone with another Kate fan. So we're going to actually redo season one. Besides Graham Thompson's episode, which was amazing on title track. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're actually going to redo all the Cake Inside songs to get Cecily and I vibing together about and analyzing them. And I actually... If anyone's interested, please look up Dario Gum, Kate Bush, The Kick Inside. That's an article that I had published on it for its 40th anniversary. So a lot of my thoughts on the album are there and are things I'll expand upon for each song. But um, but so maybe we can actually like do some of that in person because by the time all this shit, we can see each other will be that point anyway. That is <laughs> true. You Who know knows? what? I thought that is a good idea. And in fact, like, honestly, my recording studio is just my laptop and this nice blue microphone and just pack it all up and just open it up and boo, there we go. Yes. That will be so cool. We yeah. should do that. Yes. It'll, absolutely. In my no space apartment, but who knows? Maybe, <laughs> again, it'll be years from now. Maybe I'll be on the street then. So we'll see. Well, I hope not. Lots of space on the street. I know. I know. I'm not, <laughs> Especially I the New York we'll streets. See. No, thank you. <laughs> well, so, you know, summer I can live, but yeah. But see, but now we are in a November night, apparently for Rocket Kill, which I will tell you. So I just, I sound like it's a broken record. I've said this for so many songs, but especially I'm noticing it. I'm noticing it more on the essential world songs that I didn't even bother looking up lyrics and miss her what they said. So it starts with her saying, um, it's funny because it starts with her saying that November night, looking up into the sky. I mm-hmm. always thought she said, and I know that my name, something, something, something. I said, I don't know why it just sounded more like that to me. I didn't. And again with her, I just, it just sounded so good that I never bothered even looking it up. So I'm like, oh, November night. But as something that's been discussed in the episodes of this album is that it's a very autumn-y album. And so it's saying November night really makes it feel more autumn and also makes me think of Guy Fox Day. Yeah. Remember, remember the 5th of November. And keep, so I wonder if they're like, putting out rockets for Guy Fox Day because they mm-hmm. have fireworks then. And especially with when we start getting into the lyrics when she mentions the Waterloo Bridge. Yeah. All that. Yeah, and, and same too with this song. I never really 
I never really looked at the lyrics on this. Like with like you and like we were talking about off mic, I never really looked at the lyrics too much on Rocket's Tale. I just I like you know, just like the melody and like the way it kind of carries you away. I never really looked much at the lyrics and thought about what is this song about. I never really thought about yeah. that until I started doing notes for this episode, and that was part of why I wanted to do this show just anyway, so I could like go through every song and like really like revisit stuff that I'm sure I, yeah. I like the song. I, I, I like it, but I've just never thought about what it's about. And I've got some interesting thoughts on this song for sure. <laughs> Listening to yeah, it. Yeah. This is also, I think this does speak to the beauty of the, pro of what you've done with strange phenomena as this project is that it does invite us to dig deeper into like, for me, it's there's so many songs where I'm like I like this song but can't really put word into words why I like it like for example this and like yeah I'm headbanging I was too busy headbanging to think more about it now that I've actually looked at the lyrics and noticed that there's this dialogue structure I'll go into I'm like wow that's really complex from like a literary standpoint as well as just being a fucking banger so it's I have been being doing these episodes has made my appreciation for each song grow and something I was thinking about so I'm going to be on a um a different podcast in the same network um, talking out why Kate Bush should be in the Rock and Hall of Fame. And some, one of like the kind of prompts, like what's the, what's the relevancy and staying power. And for her, with all of her music, I only gain more appreciation for her songs over time versus them getting old to me. So, and you've been a Kate fan even longer than me. So, mm -hmm. um, so, and so I think it really goes to show for staying power when you can actually gain insight and appreciation for someone's work the more you listen to it versus it just becoming background noise because you heard it so many times. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. I, and, and every time, because I've, and I've, because I've been a fan for, of Kate for so long that some of her songs, like they, they've, all of her songs have grown with me in some way. And mm -hmm. that depending on where I am in my life, that some songs will hit me more than others. Um, there, there have been actually some earlier songs of hers that are hitting me in a different way that I didn't talk about when I had the episode up because I was maybe it was something from the first season. But um, revisiting some of her earlier songs, there are a few that are like hitting me in a different way than they did before. Because you're you're growing up and you're you're getting more of an appreciation, absolutely. So let's see, how do we want to start with Rocket's Tale? Where do we want to start? Like just like production. I think maybe with where. She, yeah, I think with where she started. Like, where did the genesis? What was the genesis of this song for her? And I'll go from there. So um, there's there's been a. She said quite a bit about this song, but I think that the main thing to start with on this song is the uh, the trio Bulgarka who are singing with her on this song because she wrote this specifically for them and to show off their voices and what they could do. And that part I, I find especially fascinating about this song because Kate really writes songs for her and then she's got some of her usual backing band playing with her. But also, this is the first album where she's had other women singing with her, too. And that mm. she's talked about this song and how she wrote this for the this, this trio of Bulgarian women to sing with her on and specifically to show off 
how expressive their voices are, which I think is really, really interesting when talking about this song and also this the, just this album too in general for the three songs that they're featured on. Pick a deeper understanding, never be mine, and this one for Rocket's Tale. Yeah, and what in what that what strikes me about that is that um and when in the episode that we released about the Christmas special, we were joking about how she's that person on the group project who takes who just does everything and doesn't let anyone else do a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's that she doesn't write things like so historically, she has always been her own backing singer, as the um, interviewer from Night Flight was schooled upon, was schooled on um, when she thought that she had backing <laughs> yeah. on the big sky. And she's like, nope, that's me. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. But um, yeah. <laughs> incredulous, insert incredulous look. But so she ne- she's only her own backing vocalist ever, and sometimes Patty. So this is pretty much the first time that not only like her working with other women, but having backing vocalists that aren't her. It's like having that person. It's like when you're working on that group project, and the person's like, you know what? You can do the uh, bibliography or something. You're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it's interesting to have her like relinquish control in that sense and to do it because she's coming from a place of deep love and appreciation for their work. Like you'll probably share in some of the quotes from her. She's really passionate about Sri Bogarka's work and for her to be able, and it's funny on this album and also on the red shoes that there is a bit more of that. So like she also has David Gilmore on guitar here because she says like, I couldn't imagine it being anyone else. Also he does guitar and love and anger. So mm-hmm. she does here on the red shoes kind of share the stage with others to varying degrees of success sometimes not as successfully but i think that on this song it's done this is the perfect showcase for Trio bulgarka but it also doesn't lose kate at all and it's the perfect fusion of both of them at the height of their powers mm-hmm. and speaking of her talking about working with them this is from uh terry atkinson the baffling alluring world of kate bush los angeles times oh, january 28th 1990 um, I hate that baffling thing. It's I so, know. Like, I, I really do, too. Like, oh, my God. Um, suddenly, there I was working with these three ladies from a completely different culture. I've never worked with women on such an intense creative level, and it was something strange to feel this very strong female energy in the studio. It was interesting to see the way the men in the studio reacted to this. Instead of just one female, there was a very strong female presence. And it's not just female presence, but these are, when you look at pictures of her with them, they're a lot older. So it's not like, because I think it would be one thing to say, like there is, um, I mentioned in the Dreaming album intro episode, there's a anecdote from Tony Visconti, the famous producer, where he's like, yeah, I was in the studio with her and looking at the bush bum, right? So I think mm-hmm. that we, your mind would go to thinking of, oh, there's more women in the studio, They're like sexualizing us. But her and these kind of like grandma figures would be something very different. It's almost like, and especially with them not speaking the same language, it almost is and she has described, she's said at many points that they didn't speak the same language and really connected on this like spiritual, deep musical level. And so it's almost like there was something transcending, something mm-hmm. transcendental going on in that room. Yeah. And, and I, I remember reading in, um, in Under the Ivy, the Graham Thompson book, when he talks about them getting together and having to work through an interpreter. And I can tell you from personal experience of being an interpreter, this is my day job. Mm-hmm. I'm an interpreter that, you know, you're, you're basically, you're, you're supposed to be the bridge between two people, between people who cannot understand each other, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And so having to, you're having to go through an interpreter and, and yet they're the, 
and you, you kind of realize when you're when you're kind of working with people like that 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 even though you don't speak the same language, there are still ways that you can communicate and that they they can communicate in, in their feelings through music and sound. There's some, there's mm-hmm. another quote I wish I could find it where Kate Kate talks about hearing the trio singing and it sounded like their voices were just cracking in the air that it, there was just this mm-hmm. energy with these women and and the way that they can conjure up emotions and certainly when when you hear them singing with her on Rocket's Tail and the other songs on the Central World in the Red Shoes that you don't even have to understand what they're singing but you get the feeling and it almost yeah I certainly feel that way when I listened I you know I listen to a lot of French music and I do understand French and sometimes I also listen to Italian music and I don't speak as much Italian as I do French but the feeling is always there and I remember even when I was a teacher and I would sometimes play French music for my students and even though my students were never under, not understanding every word that they were singing I would have a student go, oh, well, this person sounds sad, or oh, this person sounds happy. Like, they could get, get the emotions, even though they don't understand anything they're singing. And I think that it's, it's really amazing that they can do that. And I'm not surprised that Kate was so drawn to these women, because she, too, is wonderful at conveying emotion with just her voice. You know, like we'll talk about her backing vocals that we're like, we don't know what you're singing, but it sounds really pretty and it's conveying this thing, you know, the ah, yeah, yeah, or some of the things that she does. And so it's no wonder that she heard these women and wanted to work with them. I started rambling there, but that's okay. That's why we have podcasts. No. Podcasts are good for rambling. Well, the thing is is that, and that's a perfect segue into what I was thinking when you talked about how she couldn't even understand what they're saying, but it's so powerful. It made me think of what we were just saying right before at the beginning of this episode of how we didn't even bother looking up the lyrics, didn't even really know what she was saying, but oh, still yeah. loved it. And mm-hmm. that happens with like with so many of her songs. I have no idea what the fuck she's saying. And it sounds kind of like like I don't even know if it's English, like, you know, like so there's so many times I don't know what the hell she's saying, but I still love it because the way it sounds is so powerful. And that speaks to the fact that sound, and it's funny because I just, um, my favorite movie of all time is Moulin Rouge. And I was rewatching it um, two days ago. And Baz Luhrmann was talking about how for him, like music is the universal language. And the way, like when, when you sing something versus when you say something, it comes off completely differently. And that's why he wanted to have the characters sing to each other in Moulin Rouge. Um, and that, so that's reminding me a lot of that, too. Like, I think that it doesn't matter really what someone's singing. It's the way we hear it. Oh, yeah, definitely. And another funny, interesting part, I think, to me, about the genesis of this song, that so she wrote it for Shira Bulgarka in terms of musically. And then thematically, she... Um, so this is kind of funny for me, because when people... When I kind of have to, like, state my... When I'm like, I'm a Kate Bush fan, they're like, oh, I'm like, no, I'm like really, really scarily intense about it. My example I always use is I can actually tell you the names of every cat she owned in the 1980s, Rocket being one of them. And Mm -hmm. um, Rocket, so she, this song is inspired by Rocket and it's a kind of cute double entendre because it's Rocket's tail, T-I-A-L. So, but it's also could be like Rocket, the tail of Rocket and like T-A-L-E. So she said, Rocket is one of my cats. He was the inspiration for the subject matter for the song, 
because he said cute. <laughs> and it's very yeah. strange subject matter <laughs> because the song isn't exactly about Rocket. What's also, I'm interrupting myself. It's funny because her other cat at times being Sparky. And I'm thinking of sparks going off like a rocket. So that's mm-hmm. interesting. Um, so, but the song, it's about anything. I guess it's saying there's nothing wrong with being right here at this moment and just enjoying this moment to its absolute fullest. And if that's it, that's okay, you know. And it's kind of using the idea of a rocket that's so exciting for maybe three seconds, then it's gone. You know that's it. But so what? It had three seconds of absolutely wonderful. So mm-hmm. it's almost as though, like, the name of the cat made her think about rockets, but made her, which made her think about this concept of a, an ephemeral fleeting, but, but everlasting, like, fleeting happiness and just being able to enjoy it despite it being fleeting. Mm-hmm. I, I guess if we're, if we're thinking of songs named if we're going to think of song ideas named after our pets, like my, um, I mine is named Del Palmer. So how do how we're done for song? <laughs> <laughs> if I had it, I didn't, let's see. So I have two cats. In fact, um, okay. Well, sometimes they actually come into the room while I'm recording. They're usually very quiet though. And I actually think of the song sometimes when, when I see, um, one of my cats, Anya, just jetting in and out of the room. Like, oh, you know, just like she's running around like she had like her tail is on fire. And actually, she has mm. almost caught her tail on fire because the little thing is so curious that she when I, w- I would be taking a bath and she'd get up onto the counter where I had a candle burning. Can you see where this is probably going? And she's so fluffy. She's super, super fluffy, mm-hmm. like super fluffy black cat. And she started, she, her tail, like she, she was sitting near it. And she, I guess she didn't realize that her tail was near it. And she didn't start running around or anything. But I noticed because I went, wait a minute, why is something burning? Oh, shit, her part of her tail's on mm-hmm. fire. <laughs> and it was just like, oh, God. it was just a couple of tiny hairs that had gotten a little bit singed. And she didn't even really know. She just like, oh, okay. But I think of, <laughs> I do think of, I think of my cats, if they're running around, like, oh, you're running with your tail on fire! Whee! <laughs> and that, do. the way you just said that sounds just like the end of the song. I, that's what I was going for. <laughs> yeah. Especially when yeah, they're in a good mood. Yeah, but I think it's like, it's interesting, I feel like the way her her mind, the way her mind is working here reminds me of the way my own mind works. <laughs> I wish. But it kind of does, because, like, in terms of, like, the way, like, she's like, oh, Rocket, and it makes her think about Rockets more generally, which makes her think of a concept. My, kind, my brain kind of works in that, like, pre-association way, and it seems to be, that seems to be, for her, what the song is about. Like, as you were saying, the kind of thing about, like, just taking pleasure in the moment and enjoying that, and why not have a little homage to my cat while I'm at it. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, cats are awesome. They really are. They make life so much more interesting. Mm-hmm. I love my two cats, even though one of them is a bitch, but she's old and she's probably going to die soon anyway. I know that sounds very dark, but that's okay. The other <laughs> one is still young and she's still very sweet and she's my buddy. She She's my little, she's my little rocket buddy. Like she just, she, she's young and spry. She runs around. She very much. Yes. <laughs> I love cats. Though. So yeah. So Kate, so she's thinking about rocket. She's writing a song. And then what comes up for her that I have always found very funny is she says, for a couple of friends, this song was very phallic. Mm-hmm. I was so concerned. I tried to change that it was the biggest rocket I could find mine, but the most expensive rocket I've ever seen wasn't quite the same. That's so true. It's just the idea a rocket is only there for three seconds, but those three seconds are lived fully and totally. Honestly, I wouldn't have thought about it as phallic if I've never, I've seen that quote a long time ago. I wouldn't have thought of it as phallic otherwise, but I guess she's right in the sense that there 
rockets have long been, I mean, like, think about what it's doing. It's like a phallic shaped thing launching into the air. So they mm-hmm. have long been associated with the kind of, and also there's like an idea of kind of like colonizing space, power, all that fun stuff. So it's, it is associated, there, it is definitely a phallic symbol, especially I'm thinking of, um, there's a movie by the director Michelangelo Antonioni, the movie is La Note, and there's a scene where Jean Rose's character is wandering, and part of when she's wandering, just it's like a long sequence, and at one point she just watches these boys who are launching rockets, and a lot of people have analyzed that moment as being having to do with like phallic imagery. Um, ah. So I guess I can see why her friends saw it that way and like it's kind of funny to be like oh she's a size queen lol she's the biggest rocket i could find but i i don't know it just makes for me the song has like a it's the not just the content but also the way she sings it has very much a sense of childlike wonder so it makes mm-hmm. sense for a child to get excited about when you're going like when you're going looking for presents finding the biggest shiniest thing you could find that's what it feels like to me and i'm someone who's used tends to sexualize anything so oh me <laughs> too sexualize this I never yeah. did it all, ever, ever, ever. Yeah, her friend, this is reminding me of when breathing, when she was doing breathing, and one of the guys in the studio said, oh, that's too sexual, saying in, out, in, out. She's like, this is about literally breathing, not penetration. Go take a shower. Yeah. <laughs> Cold shower. Uh, this, is a, this is another quote here. This, this is kind of getting like a little bit of like the, the uh, production of the song. Uh, it was a vehicle to get their voices on a track in as dominant a way as possible. So I put this down with a DX7 choir sound so it had this kind of vocal feel. Then we got a drummer in and got this big rock and roll thing going. Then I got some friends in to hear what it would sound like with big block vocals singing behind my voice. And although they were English people that sing completely differently, it still gave me a sense of vocal intensity. So these two friends must have spent all day trying to sound like Bulgarians, but it was so useful because there were so many things I immediately understood we couldn't do and lots of things I felt like we could do. So we took it to Bulgaria and started to work with this arranger. I told him what I wanted and he just went off and said, what about this? And they were great. He kept giving me all these things to choose from and we worked so well together. It was so good that we decided to hold the drum kit. It was originally starting much earlier in the song. I'm glad it did not. I'm gl- as a side note, I'm glad they didn't keep it that way because the wh- where it starts in the song is absolutely perfect. I mean, yeah, everything about this song is. Uh, then we let Dave, Dave Gilmore rip on it, so we'd have this really extreme change from just vocals to this hopefully big rock and roll kit with bass and guitar solos. That's from Tony Horkins with Katie Dick Next, International Musician, December 1989. If they had had the drums yeah. any earlier in the song, it would not be nearly as no. impactful. It would just be no. like... The, no. No, it, it would just... It would fall flat instead of shooting mm. off into the night like it's supposed to. <laughs> it really does. Yeah, it propels. It, it like it. All, everything needs to come crashing in at once to have the impact that it has. No question. And speaking of the production, so the drums are from Stuart Elliott. The bass is John Giblin. Uh, the guitar, of course, is David Gilmore, and then the vocals Trio Bulgarka. The soloist, the soloist from those three ladies, it was Yanka Rupinka. A Rukina, and there's actually a. Um, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. There's a clip from a TV show, and it was called Rhythms of the World. Oh, it's and so good. Yeah, and it shows them actually like practicing and singing. So good. Like, oh, it is so cool. Yeah. There's a lot of really great photos of them together too. Not just the uh-huh. official studio ones, but there's these photos that I'll 
um, of her actually like backstage on their shows, very like candid behind the scenes. And she looks like she's glowing. She looks so lit from within and so happy and adorable. They're just great photos. So, I mean, yeah, when we were talking about how both, so both of us have never really looked at the lyrics much on the song. And to me, what it's about, what I try to do when I do like, what do I think it's about? If it's a song like this that I've never really looked at it too much, like, what is this thing about? Um, I try to look at the lyrics first and then write down what I think, and then I'll go and see what Kate has said about it. And so for me, I feel like this song is about enjoying something, even if it's just for a moment, because when you launch a firework into the sky or a rocket or something like that, it doesn't last very long. It kind of goes up, it explodes, and then falls to the ground, and there you go. Um, but what you do see, it's beautiful for the few seconds that you do see it. I've read other interpretations of this song that that it's about suicide, um, which I guess I could kind of see, but that's not what it means to me. Or also watching someone engage in self-destructive behavior, or the narrator's engaging in self-destructive behavior, or maybe it could just be a song about a rocket. Uh, but for me, though, the, the song is just about enjoying something wonderful for a moment. You know it's not going to last forever, but you're just going to throw yourself into it. You know, put on your size five lightning boots and just mm -hmm. get in there and just enjoy it, even if it doesn't last for very long. Yeah, I think the part, like, I also don't see that suicide, but like that watching someone engage in self-destructive behavior or doing it oneself, that does make sense to me um, based on like kind of when I was looking more into mm -hmm. it because so it's as you said, what makes me love this song so much is how it sounds. So I just didn't even like go into its lyrics or meaning, but the lyrics and meaning certainly add to just exalt like this vibe. It has exaltation, triumphant and jubilation, but, and this is a very important and looking at the lyrics reinforces for me, which I already knew that this is a very important entry in her ongoing saga of flying equals freedom songs. Like ever, ever like with her flying on that kite on the cover of her debut album onwards, flying equals freedom is the motif of her career all the way through before the dawn, her actually turning into a bird during at the very end of it, which we'll never see, but yeah. And so I think that what came, so what comes up for me when I think of, I like with the self-destructive piece, I mean, oftentimes when we just let go and immerse ourselves in something, it can be in something self that can be immersing ourselves in something self-destructive. It doesn't always have to be the case. It can like pleasure doesn't equal being self-destructive. Um, but I think that kind of where that comes for me a bit is in the more I looked at the lyrics, the more I was like, oh, Night of the Swallow. So as some of you who listen to this podcast might know, um, I would say Night of the Swallow from The Dreaming is my favorite song of hers, but it's kind of objectively, it's just objectively her best song, sorry. Uh, I know another good one, but that's it. I know Cecily's is Cloud Busting, and that's a favorite, which also, to be fair, is one of my top five. So if you say that, I don't hate you. But, <laughs> so what's interesting is that it's this song, when I listen to it, just the way it sounds, it makes me, it's one of those things where I feel like a superhero. I feel like I can do mm -hmm. anything. I have, like, just really superhero-ish. And so looking at this, I realized, holy shit, it's also sort of a dialogue. And not only that, but a dialogue that, like in Night of the Swallow, is about flying and shows these stark differences in two people's points of views and how they view flying in different ways. And so 
so what so okay so i'll go into it so it says that november night looking up into the sky you said and this is another person not the narrator hey wish that was me up there it's the biggest rocket i could find and it's holding the night in its arms only for a moment i can't see the, i can't see the look in his eyes that she says but mm-hmm. i'm sure it must be laughing So then that's all in quotes. Then we go back to the narrator who says, but it seemed to me the saddest thing I'd ever seen. And I thought you were crazy wishing, wishing such a thing. I saw only a stick on fire alone on its journey home to the quickening ground with no one there to catch it. Holy shit. That's Mm -hmm. That's deep. That, whoa, that's like the most powerful story of how two people can look at the same thing, the same sky and see completely different stars, you know, like, it just, wow, um, really blows me away. That's really, I think that's some really incredible writing right there, even though I don't know what the fuck she's talking about. And she says, Ed, it's holding, the big, the rock is holding the night in its arms. I, how does a rocket hold night in its arms? Girl, I don't know. But, um, but <laughs> it sounds cool. Like, I, it's a, it's a, yeah, that's the thing, like, it's evocative. And but not in a way that like it feels evocative just for the sake of being evocative, rather than I don't know. But it's really interesting how like, these two stanzas are actually two people talk, talking. So because I didn't even really bother looking up the lyrics, I just assumed the whole thing was like woo, fine, yay. But it's not like oh, I always knew she was saying it's the saddest thing I'd ever seen. But it didn't occur to me to look deeper into what she was saying and why she was saying that. So I'm really glad I had because I realized she's talking to. It seems like. Maybe it's well. Maybe it's Guy Fox night, and they're looking up into the sky. And this one person's like, "That's awesome." In case like, also, why the? It's interesting that she sees a rocket in such a melancholy way. Only a stick on fire, alone on its journey, home to the quickening ground, with no one there to catch it. It almost seems to speak to more underlying differences in their perspectives of the world. Like person mm-hmm. one it tends to be more of an optimist. Person two tends to be more of a pessimist, and that's really coming yeah. out. And then what comes up is that, um, and of course, if you go back to the episode Night in the Swallow, which you should, um, mm-hmm. you will, we talk a lot about the dialogue there and how it's about this husband and wife and the husband's a smuggler who's trying to go on this dangerous mission to Malta and the wife is saying, I won't let you do it. I won't let you do it. I won't let you go through it and telling him that he's silly. So there's a similarity here in some one person being like idealistic and the other person being glass half empty and seeing kind of the dark side. Um, so that's really interesting to me. And then, but what gets really interesting is that for verse three, then it says, sorry, I'm in the wrong song. Then for verse three, it goes, I put, I put on my pointed hat and my black and silver suit and I, I so there again, now this person straps the stick on my back 
and dressed as a rocket on Waterloo Bridge. Nobody seems to see me. And then with the fuse in my hand and now shooting into the night. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, wait a minute. Who's Who's saying this? Is the person saying this the you that she's referring to? The, the you who's like really into the rocket or or is it the per, or is verse three the person the pessimistic person from verse two after having a change of heart or is it like literally the rocket itself like I tend to think it's kind of the rocket itself mm-hmm. except the thing is the person like the rocket itself is the narrator for verse three which is so fucking cool I mean because this wouldn't just be a two-person dialogue it's not and it's not even just a three-person dialogue it's a two-person and an object dialogue and it's also personifying the rocket in this way saying like the rocket is actually a person right dressed as a rocket um which might speak to the suicide to your self-destructive piece because they're like I'm gonna put myself in fire and launch Mm -hmm. on the bridge that's the big guitar piece and the bridge says and still as a rocket i land in the river was it me said you were crazy and that's why then i'm wondering it that makes it almost seem like this is now coming from the verse two narrator having a change of heart because um because in verse two so i'm going to um in verse two like they're saying you like and I thought you were crazy. And then, wait a minute. So I'm talking multiple So the first is, I thought you were crazy. And now they're saying, was it me you said you were crazy? It almost reminds me of someone being like, wait, no. Maybe I said that, but like I changed my mind. So it's just, it's so ambiguous what this third entity is. If it's even one of those two people, if it's the rocket itself, if like what's going on. There's just, that's really interesting. I've said interesting many times. I should find this in the but you know. <laughs> No, I actually do that when, when I'm not on the podcast. I, I use interesting quite a bit. Or I go, that's interesting. Or, whoa, that's so yeah. interesting. Actually, I've got to do So, because I like what you're saying with the two-person, one-object dialogue. I've got another, I've got another thought. Maybe mm-hmm. the third verse narrator is the second, is the, uh, the narrator from the second verse who's daydreaming that, okay, you know, maybe like thinking about like, okay, what if I were to become a rocket and go launching? Mm. And then when you get to and still as a rocket, I land in the river. Was it me? You said you were crazy that it's still the, the person in the second verse. And instead they've, they've gone through this, this like visual, this like daydream or that they're becoming a rocket and they're realizing, Oh, actually that is pretty cool. <laughs> 
And you know what? That's totally connected to running up that hill in terms of let's let's switch perspectives and switch mm-hmm. places. Let she's I don't want to assume it's she. This narr- this narrator of the second verse is basically saying, I like this interpretation of yours. And in, if we go with that, then this narrator is saying, well, once I put myself in your shoes, I'm able to see how magical this is. And I shouldn't have said you were crazy. Was that me? Because that was a whole different person from a way of experience the world now. Um, yeah, which again, like it speaks to the idea that she's saying and running up that hill of if only we can better, if we, sometimes we need to literally kind of change our swap places with another person mentally in this case in order to gain empathy and understanding mm-hmm. for how they see the world. And she's all about when one of the main themes of Kate's music is communication and empathy mm-hmm. and being able to understand people. So that was, that was, that was, that's I forgot to put that in my notes, but I was like hearing you talk about that. Oh yeah, that that's how I've seen the the third verse. Yeah, I agree. I really like it's kind of they're coming. The two of them are coming together and being able to just celebrate this thing and not mm-hmm. think too much about the idea of it crashing into nothingness. Instead of crashing into nothingness, it's um, it's like where's the part? Like you land, like landing into the river is a much more peaceful wrap up than this i then a whole like crashing onto a quickening ground with no one there to catch it as she described it earlier now they're able to kind of find this compromise version of okay it does crash but it's into the river and it's just like putting out the fuse versus like this hostile non-embrace and actually there is something to catch it because it's falling into the river it's not falling to just the dead ground it's falling into a moving river and there, even if the even if the the waters are quiet, no, there's still life and everything in there. So there, it's and the river is there to catch it. And water is the after the flying equals freedom motif. Water is the number two biggest theme throughout her music. So it's all coming together. This is really exemplifying why this is such a such a whole trade, just such a Kate Bush song. In oh, all seriously. And then, and, then and, and so what do you think about the ending? Because I feel like with the ending, you know, I put on my Claudius suit, size five lightning boots. He, 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 he. I, yeah. I, I live there. He, 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 he. I know. So cool. I don't, I don't. What the fuck is a cloudy suit? <laughs> Okay, here's what I think a cloudy suit is. I'm feeling like it's the personification of, of the sky. The sky that yeah, like when you when I mean I'm actually funny enough. I'm looking out the window now because I live in the country. I'm looking out the window and it's starting to get dark and it's a little bit cloudy, and that when the clouds are like nice and thick, it's like, I'm, I personify it as almost as like a blanket, but it could feel mm. like a big, thick, woolly suit. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, that makes sense. But yeah, it's interesting. I think the ending of this is just really jubilant. Um, especially the way it's sung. We'll talk more about the way it sounds later. Cause as it's like, for me, when we talk about our own personal feelings of the song, my love of it is wrapped up in the sound, but just it's like, 
so again, why it harkens back for me to Night of the Swallow is like, look at me with my tail on fire. Look at me go. Look at me. It reminds me of Night of the Swallow. Let me, let me mm-hmm. go. Whoa, whoosh in a higher plane. You know, just that thing where like, I mean, I have literally listened to both songs very often when I go on the swings and play. I'm really into going on the swings and playgrounds, listening to music. And you are, I'm literally in the air, literally flying to these songs. And the most mad, some of the most powerful moments of my whole life, honestly, is doing that. And, um, and like, those, I feel like that's some of those songs hit me the deepest. But like, so to me, like the ending of this song is about that kind of liberation. It's like, look at me go, look at me with my tail on fire. This is so fucking cool. And I'm just enjoying this moment. Night of the Swallow, the ending is a bit darker because mm-hmm. um, because like the outro is the wife figure saying, but you're not. So like it ends, it's galloping. It's, you're so wrapped up in this like, this cr- declaration of freedom type thing. And then it does have like a come down in terms of the pipes, like the music, it, it really winds down on Rocket's tail. The ending, it just stays really all the way at like the nth degree. And then you have the trio of does the wee to come down. And to me, that sounds so much like being on a roller coaster. Um, mm-hmm. it so it, it feels like, it feels like you're coming down on the roller coaster as opposed to a night of the swallow where it's like, becoming more subdued it's you're still on the ride I also really and also why oh, oh, oh sorry, sorry go ahead <laughs> no you go ahead <laughs> okay well also the reason also I think of Night of the Swallow is because of um like Night of the Swallow ref is about flying in a plane in the words over the water Rocket's tail mentions landing in the river and flying over water the bridge bridge obviously goes over water so there's just all that imagery of flying not just flying but flying over water in a way that is structured with a two-person dialogue and when and in the in two songs where the way those songs sound themselves sound the way that freedom feels um so just full of exaltation so to me these songs are actually quite linked um and that i mean anyone who has heard me talk for five minutes knows how much i love night of the swallow so that's saying a lot for this song too (laughs) yeah and especially what i was going to say was with the ending that to (laughs) me it uh, i because i hear the roller coaster thing too because i i live near well, now I'm actually more two hours away from, but I used to be an hour away from Bush Gardens in Williamsburg um, in Virginia. Bush Gardens? Yes. Well, <laughs> I just spelled it Okay, you know. Bush spelled differently, but still. Um, it's, it's, it's her Dollywood. It's her <laughs> it <laughs> Imagine, is, very much. There should, there should, there should have be. Amazing park. If anyone did, it would be her. <laughs> there would be, oh my God, the shows. Exactly, I would just right? go to the park for the shows. I would do some of the rides because Up I in. do love roller coasters, but I would go for the shows. 
Oh, I hate roller coasters. I'm in general, and this is what's interesting, like in speaking about this night of the swallow, I'm the opposite of a general and junkie. I do not like anything high fear thresholdy. So the mm-hmm. listening to these songs is the closest that I get. <laughs> so I do love I do love roller coasters, but I there are certain adrenaline things that I will not do. I will never try skydiving. I will no, that was the first thing I thought of. I will never try, oh gosh, I don't know what this is called. Any listeners out here might know what this is. Um, Because they used to have this at the King's Dominion in Virginia. And it's, uh, you're you're basically in like this, oh God, I can't even think of how to, to, uh, you're in this harness and they drop you and you're just like bouncing up and down in the air, but you're, you're hanging from this like big, long, almost looks like a rubber band but it's not I can't even think of what it's called but I will never try any of those kind of things I do love roller coasters and I miss going and going to roller coasters because there are a lot of some of my absolute favorite roller coasters or bush gardens but I digress but there's there's certain adrenaline things I like like I like roller coasters and all that but you'll never see me skydive or anything like that no 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 thank you yeah, no, that's that's fair for sure. Um, but yeah, just like the, both of those songs, both these songs really evoke the idea of just like as just shooting into the night, mm-hmm. just absolute freedom. And I, what I like about that ending when they're going to the Wee! and what, well, it reminds me of watching the fireworks on Fourth of July, and when. The fu- mm-hmm. when the rocket gets up there and it explodes, you know, pew! like sometimes it'll make this loud whistling, and it and it the the sound descends. That's what it sounds like when those women are doing that at the end. It sounds like a rocket that has just exploded, and now it's and now it's after that point, it's exploded, and now it's going to go back down to the earth. Yeah, and also like what I was just thinking is the ending of this song, like they're so these two speakers are finally united and fused versus Night of the Swallow, they're still at odds with each other. Like he's like, fuck it, I'm flying anyway. Versus here it's like, wow, this is cool. We can appreciate flying together. So mm-hmm. that's a much more positive ending. So you want to do our personal thoughts on the song? Yeah, let's why not? Okay, so I'm gonna really music nerd. You're the literary person, I'm the music nerd. Like, oh, well, this song's yeah. blah, 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 time soon. That's why we're a good balance for each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I said you do, like, I, you do the music stuff, I do literary stuff. So, um, for me, Rocket's Tale is amazing in several ways. Uh, first, for one thing, there's nothing else like this really in her catalog. It's a mostly a cappella song, and then halfway through it explodes into an 80s rock song. So I feel like to me, uh, next to violin, Rocket's Tale is one of her few truly rock kind of songs. And also that she's written something specifically for other people to sing with her. And also I find especially what's interesting is how Kate made this song that is very much her, but worked with their style. So... I went into it a little bit more in the Never Be Mine episode, but Bulgarian folk music. So the women she's singing with, the Trio Bulgarka, they sing Bulgarian folk music. 
And so the kind of music that these women usually grew up singing, it's much more loose with time signatures. So time signatures, like when you listen to most pop music, you know, like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. That's the most common, it's called common time for a reason. Like everything is in nice groups of four. But for Bulgarian music and actually a lot of folk music around the world and even some of the Irish music that Kate would have grown up with, Everything is not necessarily in that one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Sometimes you'll get these very strange time signatures like nine, four. And what that means is that you have nine beats per measure and the uh, the beat is on the quarter note. And so nine, four would sound something like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So, it, and it sounds kind of weird to us. We're like, wait a minute, because it's it's not divided in you know, nine is not divisible by four. <laughs> so it's has this strain. It, it feels like a little bit off. Like, wait, no, there should be an extra beat or an extra few few beats. And so it's much more free flowing than just that strict one, two, three, four. And with the Bulgarian music too that it's music you sing to as you're working and you're making the mm. music flow with whatever you're working on. It's like, like I talked about in um, the handsome cabin boy that that's an example of a sea shanty. So that's what that was, would have been a work song. That's something that the sailors would have been singing to a particular rhythm to help them complete a task. And so this music, this is something that the women would have been doing like as they're out in they're out in the fields, helping, helping with harvesting or maybe they're doing they're they're doing something with cleaning vegetables and so they have this particular work song that like helps them get into the rhythm of it and they're not thinking in their heads like one two three four and so with this style this bulgarian music that's not usually in this like western four four common time signature the fact that kate made this song work with her more western song structure really fascinates me and speaking of time signatures I'll, quite a bit of kate songs often go between time signatures a really good example of that earlier in her career is with wuthering heights if you listen to especially the chorus like she flits between four four that one two three four and also three four time which is waltz time you know one two three one two three one two three and you especially hear that on the chorus songs throughout her career sometimes she'll throw in like a, a two four measure after a four four so that would sound like one two three four one two one two three four one two one two three four one two like it's it, and it's got you're like wait a minute huh it it, it has it kind of like jars a little bit and um also houdini houdini has some some of those like shifting time signatures that she'll often throw in this song is actually um, in, it's not in 4-4, four, four. it's in what's called 6-8, which feels a lot like 3-4, but there are some subtle differences that I don't even completely understand, and somebody who's even more musically inclined than me might be able to explain it better. But it feels like 3-4, because, I mean, 6 over 8, 
divides into three, four, you know, three, four, that's waltz time, you know, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, a lot of old songs. A lot of like your songs from like the the 30s and 40s are in this like three, four, and some of them are in six, eight. So three, four and like six, eight, they have these, these like rhythms to them that like, you know, and I can hear when they're singing too, you know, when, when she's, you know, and it's holding the night in its arms. If only for a moment, I can't, I can't see the look in its eyes. Like as you're singing it, like you can feel, if you could feel the, like the rhythm there and you, you can, you feel that with, with six, eight and three, four. And big difference is that you got six beats in a measure and instead it's instead of the quarter note getting the beat it's the half it's the eighth note that gets a beat you know i i don't even like i said i don't even completely understand it somebody who's even more musically inclined might be able to explain it better but um when they're singing in this it's mostly six eight except for one measure for the it's the biggest rock for the it's the for the it's the biggest rocket i could ever see she has three eight. So that means you have three beats per measure and the eighth note gets the beat. And um, it's just that she, most of Kate's songs, she does write a lot in four four. This is one of her few six eight songs. And when she sometimes in her music that she does go with different time signatures, one right after the other, which can be a little bit jarring to begin with. Uh, but you kind of get used to it. And when she has the six eight, it it really works with their style because like their style is all about just interesting, like having some sort of rhythm to it because this there they would have been singing as they were working on something. So it's just it just fascinates me that she's she was working with these women who come from a very, very different musical tradition. And especially like they they're they're from the mountains and so they're they've got they're isolated from everybody else and so they they have their own they have their own dialect and their own musical traditions because they don't have much communication with the outside world. But she made this this style work with hers and mm -hmm. it, it it just it fascinates me and I I'm done with the music nerding. <laughs> But it just that that's what fascinates me most about this song. And and also that you don't even have to understand what the women are singing. That you just listen to the sounds of their voices. I mean, it's no wonder Kate loved these women's voices. Because <laughs> that's what she mm -hmm. does. And she made it work and it's amazing. Yeah, and you're saying you're saying it's not your top favorite for this album, but it's grown on you over time? Yes. It mostly because I I felt like I, I I couldn't I wasn't really listening for the lyrics. I liked the sound, but I wasn't always in the mood for that particular sound at that point. But looking at the lyrics and reading into it for the show has made has pushed this one up more for me. Like my, my favorite from the album will always be Love and Anger for very personal reasons, but this one has notched up has gone up a few more notches for sure yeah my favorite from the album will always be title track sensual worlds but this is second for me and then the fog um yeah i just it's funny because while it's one of my favorites now it's like i think it's a perfect song what i love about it is that it, it incorporates a multitude of sounds from 
traditional Eastern European mm-hmm. folk for the first half to explosive rock in the second half, which makes this song like the best Kate Bush song in its own mini universe, really. That's what her best songs do is they create their own little planet for you to inhabit for a bit of time. Mm-hmm. And it's like a rocket going on. It's trap visiting. It's like if you like something ethereal, it's here in the first half. If you like hard rock, it's here in the second half. You know, there's really kind of everything you can want here. I've even wondered sometimes for like people who are like normal people I know, if I was going to send them the Kate song, like maybe would I send them this? Because, but like, but I wonder then if the first, the just acapella part would be too quote unquote weird for them. I don't know. I haven't tried sending it to normal people, but um, maybe I would. Like normally I, like, because there is something about this song I find more accessible because of the guitar. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, then you have all the stuff that prefaces, like people might, people have such short attention spans more now than ever. So they can just hear yeah. the Trouble Galka part and just be like, well, no, I'm done. I'm listening to something else. Um, but I just think that it's, it has so much, with it. as I said, it's its own little universe. Like the way she described breathing as my little symphony, like this is also its own little symphony. Um, it's funny because even though now it's one of my favorites, it took a while to gain my attention. I remember back in, I want to say 2014, probably. Um, I had dinner with this girl in my book club that I was in at the time because it, it turned out that she also was a big Kate fan. And we ended up having dinner and she was saying she really loves this song. Mm-hmm. And I just had never like given much notice to it. And after she told me how much she loves this song, I ended up listening to it and it blew my mind. And from then on, it's just been love. And it's just one of those things where I thought, how did I not pick up on it before? But she just has so many good songs that sometimes you don't notice certain ones. But yeah, so at first it didn't leave any impression on me. But after she pointed it out to me, it's just been a, one of my favorites ever since. Um, I, something else, the opening part now, it's reminding me of, and I actually am not that big of a fan of this movie. I don't know if you saw the movie Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, basically, like it's, you're considered like a heretic lesbian if you didn't love it. I, I liked it. I love it. So call me a heretic, whatever. Um, <laughs> but the opening part of the women's call was like their voices kind of just vibing together. It reminds me of there's a scene in Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Definitely the best scene of the movie, besides the final scene, which I won't spoil because it's just really good. Um, there's a scene where there's a bunch of women by the fire, like of members of all, of all different social classes, all different types of women, and they're singing this song together. We're kind of like the Tour of Bulgarka, if not words. They're just kind of making sounds. Vocalizing, and, um, yeah. Yeah, vocalizing, yeah. You, you would know that better. And so it's just <laughs> kind of this, um, it's this idea of, of like this vibe of women just celebrating life together with their voices. And it's, that's what I really love about it. It's just like this kind of pureness. I really think that more bad college acapella groups should actually try doing this. They have a lot more mm-hmm. material. They have a lot of material with this. My college had, I swear, 15, 10 to 15 different acapella groups. It was a nightmare. I hate, I hate it now. But um, I wasn't in any. But, um, but yeah, like I just feel like there's something about the first part being this woman kind of celebrating life with their voice. And then it exploding into everything. So like my favorite parts are just that, that main when the drums come in and all of a sudden it's that transition. Whoa, that's, mm-hmm. that just always gets me so much. Like just, and like, and still is a rocket. Like after the way it comes in. And then my other favorite part is 
was it me said you were crazy and then all the, the whole solo after and literally everything after that everything after that sounds like everyone involved is having so much fun yeah. and it's really cool that's the thing that makes this song so joyous and like even more that more so than Night of the Swallow Night of the Swallow is a very carefully constructed thing although this is also of course like all her music very carefully constructed it sounds more like as I said people vibing together people just having fun together versus here is this carefully constructed narrative thing. Um, like the finals from three minutes, 53 seconds, she has this little screen. Yeah. So I love that. I love she's letting it rip and having the time of her life. Like I can just really, I can imagine them in the studio just kind of like having the fucking time of their life. And as I said earlier, the ending, the woo reminds me of people on a roller coaster. So it's just fun. And it's really, I mean, she has a bunch of songs in her catalog that are fun. But I think it's not, it's always just nice to hear a song where you can tell everyone involved is living their best life and having fun. transitioning into this woman's work oh my god that's oh yes yeah. no and i don't mean in the sense i don't like i don't dislike some of the work just more oh, in yeah. the sense of like Definitely. going from this celebratory triumphant song like every time it switches i'm like oh shit not to cry <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's to go from this high to the most introspective possible song and like so deeply with all the feels and very sad it feel it does feel like okay the rocket launched and now the rocket maybe Speaker 2 was right when they talk about the rocket falling into the ground with nothing to catch it. Like, the rocket has crashed back down to Earth from space, and now you're in the most grounded possible space of having to be stuck ruminating on the past and your own misdeeds and all of that. So it's like, that was, that, that, that was a, that time enjoying the rocket was nice while it lasted. Now we have to go back to, like, depression. Yep. It's the ultimate that that's the it's the ultimate tonal shift like, i'm personally thankful that i never had this album i only ever have had the album version where it ends with wall street down the middle and even though that's a mediocre song for her i'm glad that i prefer it ending on that rather than ending on this woman's work because to end on this woman's work just reminds me of this meme of new york aka tiffany pollard where she's from flavor of love where she's sitting yes, on the I couch know, i know about her and, yep just mm-hmm. staring she's like sitting on the bed staring into the distance as if like feeling dead inside i feel like if the album ended on this one's work i would just kind of feel dead inside and way too sad so i need something like that makes me feel a little bit more okay i can like i can go on my day now <laughs> <laughs> now i agree with you i've i mean in fact when i first bought the central world i only had the c i got the cd version got it from tower right. records Boy, did that take you back? That they don't even exist anymore. But I had the CD version. I still have it somewhere, and I think it might have been one of the first pressings too. Because like the Hounds of Love CD, it's very thick. If you look at the side of the Central World CD, it's very thick in a way that a lot of modern CDs aren't. And it also it happened to have the extra bonus track on there because of 
people trying to get uh, trying to get people to buy CDs. So, oh, well, if you buy the CD, you get this extra bonus track. Hey, that sounds familiar. Oh, if you buy this thing, if you listen to this album on Spotify, you get these extra tracks. If you get it from iTunes, you get this, oh, extra tracks, and then you get a video, you know, like trying to entice people to try go to different formats. Florence's management, I am looking at you. How many versions of How Big, How Blue, How Beautiful are there? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. There shouldn't be too many. Alt Otherwise, it feels like Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, where there's 15 different endings. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. that Even more if you're watching favorite. the extended versions, because oh, they had an yeah, extra Yeah, that will stuff. always be my all-time favorite movie theater experience, R.I.P. movie theaters, was seeing Return of the King in theaters, and every time people, the audience thought it was over, like getting up and stuff, everyone thought, then there was another ending, and it got to the point where the audience just started laughing. We would just be like, like just laughing anytime there was a new scene that we thought was over. <laughs> but yeah, but this, but going from this to this woman's work is like, I kind of hate her for that a little. Like, that was cruel. That's cruel. It's like, it's the ultimate pulling the rug out from under you. Like, huh, you thought you were happy? Nope. Mm-hmm. It would have been interesting to end the album on this because it would it would leave yeah. you with such a woo and should have done that. Be, it would have been cool. It'll be interesting to because as of this recording, I have a guest for this moment's work, and we're hopefully going to be recording maybe later this week in the last week of twenty twenty. Um, but oh god, what a time to reflect on a reflective I, song! I know, right. <laughs> Yeah, of um, all the things I could have done that I never did. Yeah, I know. Like, and like leave the house. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> and yet so, another day in the life of Kate Bush. And so I'll be interested to find out whether this album in, was intended to end with Rocket's Tale, or like how late in the process this woman's work was written. Because it was my understanding that she wrote it to a particular scene in. Um, she's having a baby, and I mm -hmm. I wonder when she got to got to see that, and whether this it was a last minute edition or not. So that'll be that'll be interesting to look into. That'll be on the This Woman's Work episode coming out next week, <laughs> mm -hmm. but being recorded right. this week and coming out like I think about like a month month and a half later, something like that after this recording, <laughs> something like that. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I I like the idea now. The more I think about them, the more I like the idea of the album ending on this I do think it's kind of nice like to have something as an ending track that kind of brings you a little more down to earth but not like as much of a crash as this one. a little like any of this one's work is like a crash down to earth not a grounding but because yeah I feel like it, but then again that does remind me like her first I've talked about a lot about this in other episodes her first four albums end on like the most epic fucking songs and I this would definitely have carried in that tradition of like let me end this album on the most epic possible song and leave you just like hanging like whoa so this would have been a cool way to end it oh now i'm one now i'm thinking all the things she could have done that she never did okay mm -hmm. all the things she could have said and then she didn't <laughs> all the, the things DVDs she could have said i'll stop i'll stop i know uh, no but no but maybe once we say it enough times i mean just saying it can make it happen yeah on that note i think we've pretty much covered everything i mean yeah well, i love it i hope more people get into this song and are kind of in that place where I was in 2014 where like someone calling out to you how great it was makes you realize it's greatness because oh mm -hmm. it's a sweeping it's powerful it's everything it is and I and I love I also love that 
Rocket's Tale is there that there's not much else. There's nothing else like this in mm-hmm. her discography. Like we we talked about that with the Fog. Like there's nothing else like the Fog in all of her catalog. It's just so... yeah. It's rare for her to have a. It's rare for her to have a song that balances out the ethereal and the hard rock. Because she usually go to do a song James and the Cold Gun that's just rock, or like so many other things that are just ethereal. But to have them both in this one space, as I said, it creates its own world, and that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope ever hope more people will get to appreciate this song because this is pretty fucking awesome. Oh my god! Yeah, I can't. <laughs> right, as I said earlier, if you ever, if you um, if you're able to go to a playground and go in the swings, definitely listen to this when you're, and even to at night in general, walking around at night and listening to this and looking up into the sky. It's cool, it's always fun. I have now. I have listened to this album going to and from the the nearest big city to where I live and driving around I remember this song came on while I was driving home and it was it was getting to the point where I think this was like late October almost November and so the days were starting to get a little bit shorter and this album uh, when I got to Rocket's Tale that it was almost dark and so as I was driving, I could see like the pink sunset and the, the colors starting to get darker as the song was playing. That is a really fucking awesome experience, let me tell you. Yeah, that is really cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, as always. Yay! Whee! Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's one good way of putting it. Yeah, you're you're better at the enthusiasm than me. I'm a jaded New Yorker. But yeah, it's okay. Good to be here. Good to be here. And thanks to all of you who were able to listen. Indeed. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. Well, my goodness, we had quite an intense song there. And next up on the show, in two weeks, we're going to have another intense song. And this one's going to be a monster of a song to talk about. I'm going to get to talk with Paul Tate, who has been on the show before. And he's another Kate Bush fan, another American one. He's from Georgia. And we're going to be talking about this woman's work. So that's going to be coming out in two weeks. But first things first, if you enjoy the show, please feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find the show. You can follow me on Twitter at StrangeKateCast, on Facebook, facebook.com slash KateBushPodcast. And you can also email me, KateBushPodcast at gmail.com. We also have a Patreon. We can get a little extra goodies if you join the Patreon, patreon.com slash KateBushPodcast. And there is a hotline. So if you call this hotline, you can leave a message and your message could be played on a future episode. 1-757-349-6369. It's a lots of different ways that you can get in contact and be a part of the show. So as I said, the next episode is going to be coming out in two weeks. And that's going to be this woman's work. And then after that, we're going to start talking about all the different B-sides and collaborations from the Central World season. Lots of other little gems to talk about. And until then, we will see everybody then. Hope everybody has a has had a great time listening to the episode. And we'll see everybody next time. Bye!
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.